1 Timothy chapter 1. We're continuing in our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through this book. Chapter 1, verse 18. And it reads like this. This is Paul talking to his young protege, Timothy, who's a leader in the church. This, I ch- this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And Father in heaven, again, we're talking about the fight today. For some of us in here, especially lately, every day has seemed like a fight. A battle. And yet we come here and we sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We are here for you. Our God, you are so big. So today, through your word, by your spirit, teach us well today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have heard of the IMF, the organization called the IMF? What was that? Okay. All right, that's not the one I was talking about, but the IMF. Tony Lockhart, you've heard of the IMF. Same thing? Okay. So most of you here, when I say the words IMF, you don't know what I'm talking about. Good. The impossible... Missions Force. Now you know what I'm talking about, some of you. If you were uh, watching TV during the 60s and 70s, the Impossible Missions Force, well, that was the TV show Mission Impossible. And Mission Impossible was based off of a group of elite agents that would receive a mission, usually an audio recording, saying, Hello, Jim. This is your mission, should you choose to accept, and the mission will be laid out. Oh, by the way, if you or your team get caught um, or killed, the secretary will disavow that they have any knowledge of you. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Are you familiar with it now? It was a fictional team that was put together to save the world. And so in the beginning of every episode, no matter what they were doing, they would receive a message, and when they received that message, everything stops. If they're in the office, if they're with their family, no matter where they're at, everything stops and they're reminded that they have a great mission in this life and that mission is to save the world. And that mission, because of the stakes being so high to save the world, it's a dangerous mission. And so with every dangerous mission comes a great soundtrack. Dun, 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 dun. You know the soundtrack, right? Now, how many of you, when you get put in pressure situations, have some sort of a soundtrack in your life? 
All right, whenever, whenever I'm running late to work and I'm on my I-95, I've got on my iTunes, I've got on my iPhone, I've got the Smokey and the Bandit theme, right? I've got the Smokey and the Bandit theme, and I put that on, and it's like I'm a different driver on I-95, still with the Calvary Chapel bumper sticker on the back of it. <laughs> These, this mission impossible, if you think of impossible missions, well... When Jesus came, His mission was this. To seek and save the lost. Us. His mission was to seek and save the lost. And that He came on this mission, He called the most unlikely of people to join Him on this mission. Fishermen. Tax collectors. Those that were persecuting the church. Yes, you're the right one. You're the right right one for the job. And he called a man like Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul the Apostle, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And a lot of that from a prison cell. And a lot of that as words of encouragement to young men like Timothy. So in other words, Jesus had that mission to seek and save that which was lost. Paul picked up the torch and shined his light to seek and save that which was lost. And now Paul, through this letter, is encouraging Timothy, hey, listen, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up and be reminded of who you are. Because sometimes we forget, right? How easily do you forget? I know I forget very easily. Had the opportunity to go on a road trip a couple of days ago. And I'm excited because we're going to go to get to North Florida I'm going to get to be a guest speaker and minister to some really hurting folks. Some really awesome hurting folks. We're going to get to go up there. And on the way up there, we go to the drive-thru of a steak and shake. And as we go to the drive-thru through the steak and shake, and we're putting our orders in, there are three of us, and we ask for, I ask for this. I just want a burger. Just the meat and the bun. That's how I order my burgers all the time. I know cheese, that's right. Just the meat and the bun. And the lady was like, I'm not sure I understand you. I said, okay. I'm not really sure how else I can say this. But I'm going to try it again. Just, I, okay, it's like if, if you were to have a piece of meat, okay, just a piece of meat. I just want that piece of meat, and, and that'll be between two pieces of bread. That's all I want is the bread and, and the bun. So the three of us place orders. They're all that simple. They're all that similar. They mess up the order. They mess up the order. I'm like, okay. I don't know how else I could have really presented the material, but that's okay. So now we go up there. We have this amazing weekend. And we are leaving yesterday, and it's about 4 o'clock. And we're pumped. I mean, we've just seen God move in hearts and lives, and we're excited, and we're stoked. And we are coming back home, and we stop at Dairy Queen. And uh, again, the order is placed at Dairy Queen for, it's, it's just meat and, and a bun. That's all. Just meat and a bun. All right. And so after a 15-minute wait for the meat and the bun, uh, Michael comes back out and hands me the bag, and I open it up, and 
Sure enough, there's cheese all over the place. <laughs> and I'm sitting there saying, I just want meat in a bun. And I'm starting for, to forget because I was so blessed by the experience. I came away thinking, okay, man, this was awesome seeing. I get to see God work. I'm so humbled that I get to see God work. And now I'm throwing in a tailspin because there's cheese on my burger. All I asked for was meat in a bun. That's all I asked for. How easy do we forget over silly things? That's the point. Over silly things, we kind of forget who we are. And that really is the point of what we're going to take a look at today. You have a mission. You have a mission. But sometimes, because you're human, we forget who we are in the eyes of God. And we forget. So here, we have words, like Paul has written to Timothy, Words of encouragement. Whenever we open up God's word, we're learning about who he is and what he desires of us. So we're going to take a look at six points today. Six points that are going to help remind us who we are, why we're here. As Paul encourages Timothy with these words written 2,000 years ago, so too I believe he will encourage our hearts today. Verse 18. says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Stop right there. There's a charge, and this charge was like a command. It was a command, and it was usually used in military language. You've heard, da-da-da-da-da-da. Really, that was weak. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Thank you so much. Okay, so he says, I'm going to charge you. I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. What did this look like? Okay, one night at a church meeting, here they were, and they were praying over Timothy, and God gave a word to one of them for Timothy, and as they prayed over him, Timothy, you're going to go on to do great and amazing things in the church, and that was a word from the Lord for Timothy, and that was the truth of Timothy's life. But now what's happening is, is that life is pressing in. Has life pressed in on you to the point where you've forgotten who you are in God's economy? Well, how do I know? Because you have something that neither Paul nor Timothy had. You have a book from Genesis to Revelation. And it says so much about who you really are to God. This reminds us of who we are to our Father. You see, that's the first point today. God's Word, and it's simple... But I guess we need simple because I forget this. And I know that you probably do too. The first point is this, is that God's word tells us who we are. God's word tells us who we are. Sometimes when the pressure, when the pressure is applied, I'm forgetting who I am, where I'm from, what I'm here to do. It can be really simple. It can be, here, you went to a church service. You felt encouraged. You felt inspired. You were encouraging someone else. And then you got on the road. And that was it. How many of you have had this where you've done your devotional time in the morning? You've spent time with Jesus. You had a good time with God in the morning. You read your Bible. You read whatever books you're reading in the morning. And you're feeling, okay, I'm ready to go today. And then it's like as soon as you get out the door, it's almost like life does one of these. Boom! Flat. There you are. Why? Because we forget who we are and we do it so simply. So easy do we forget who we are. Paul saying, Timothy, remember the prophecies that were made of you. And I would say to you, men and women of God, know what the Word of God says about the truth of who you are. Know that, because God's Word on you 
is the final verdict. Oh, I know you've got some people in your life and some voices in your life that are competing to make you think that you're less than you are. You've also got some voices competing to make you think that you're more than you are. And it works both ways, the enemy does. To illustrate, I want to show you, if you would keep your place in Timothy and turn back to the book of Judges. It's Judges chapter 6. And this is the calling of a young man named Gideon. Now, Gideon's people have been under attack from the Midianites. And Gideon, in essence, is hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites. Right? He's cowering. He's hiding. It says, verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orphra, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Stop right there. What? Mighty man of valor, I'm hiding from my enemies. I'm, uh, all I'm doing is on, on the threshing floor. Here's what I'm doing. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm threshing wheat in the wine press. That's such a little bit that he's doing there. It's not even out in the open doing, doing the thing that they would normally do. He's sitting there hiding. And God says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's got to be like, say what? What? You're talking to me? A mighty man of valor, God? Now, if you look at Sylvester Stallone, you might look at Sly and you might say, mighty man of valor. You might look at Arnold and say, now, th- that would be a mighty man of valor. That would make sense. You might look at Chuck Norris and say, mighty man of valor, or The Rock and say, mighty man of valor. How many of you would look at Kevin Hart and say, mighty man of valor? That would be like, this is like, that would be like somebody coming to me and they would be saying to me, hey, PJ, you're an awesome handyman. You amazing handyman. See, anybody that knows how I am with a hammer and with a screwdriver, yeah, I, I think I own one. Or anybody that knows how I am with these things, somebody would come up to me and say, you awesome construction worker. And I'd be like, what? No, that's not me. Or if they went to the Cleveland Browns collectively and said, you awesome football team. Yeah. All right, not going to happen, right? So Gideon, is he, he, who he is, is redefined by the fact that the angel of the Lord says, you're a mighty man of valor. And guess what? If that's what the angel of the Lord says, if that's what the word of the Lord says, then you are a mighty man of valor. Because you are who God says you are. God's word tells us who you are. And so when we start forgetting, we have to go back to Scripture. We have to go back to Scripture. A movie came out a few years ago called Creed. And in this movie, it was Apollo Creed's son from the Rocky movie, and he's fighting in his father's shadow. He wants to change his name. And he's told by someone, no, don't change your name. You've been fighting in his shadow. Fight as his son. Fight as his son. Listen, gang, you are children of the living God. 
co-heirs to the throne of Jesus Christ. That is the truth of who you are. Are we walking around like humble kings and queens? Or are we running around like those who have completely forgotten our identity? And dad's saying, no, come here, come here. Come to church today. I want to remind you, because some of you are forgetting. When I got out of the, speaking of Smokey and the Bandit, when I got out of Burt Reynolds Institute for Theater Training in 1993, when I got out of there, my first job, I moved up to New York to be an actor. My first job I got was down in Florida. So I flew back down to Florida, and the job was for Hasbro. And my job was to show them and market in a toy fair. This was my first acting job, was to market the Tickle Me Elmo product. You know Elmo, right? La, 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 la. No, 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 Elmo's world. All right, so that's, a, that's my job, and I've got a 12-page script to memorize so that I can sell Elmo. That's my job. That's my only job, but I took a look at the script, and I was like, I can be funnier than this. I can be funnier than this, so I rewrote the script, and as I rewrote the script, they pulled me aside after the first day. They were like, yeah, you, you really need to stick to the script. I said, okay, I, I, I got you. I, I, know, I know what you're saying here. All right, they were like, no, you really need to stick to the script. I said, okay. And so I went home and I rewrote it a little bit more. And the next day I showed up and I had some uh, corny Elmo jokes and I had this little red puppet and I was like, la, 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 la. And they called me at the end of the day and they called me into the room and they were like, hey, um, we have to let you go. But I, I graduated from the Burt Reynolds Theater. I'm an actor. I'm a real actor that you hired to do this. Yeah, you, you're fired. Okay, okay. So I, I go home and I'm crushed. My spirit is crushed. And my value at that time was down here. And maybe you've had things that have happened that have brought your self-worth and your value down here. And as I'm sitting crawled up in a bed, my father comes into the room. He says, can we talk for a second? Yeah, Dad, we can talk. He sits on the side of the bed. And he's like, listen. This isn't the end of the world. And what I was reminded of, I don't even remember what the speech was, but what I was reminded of this is that my value wasn't down here because I was my father's son. I was my father's son. And that day he's like, now get up, come on. It's not time for you to sit down. Let's go, let's take a ride. He's got a 65 Chevy Impala Super Sport Convertible. And he says, listen, all right, I, I was about 21 at the time. He's like, listen, let's you and I take a ride. And I'm sitting there and I'm driving with my dad. And the one that felt crushed was feeling on top of the world again. Listen, spiritually, gang, your father has so much that he says about you in here. If you would only take a moment when you get knocked down to open up the book and look. Open up the book and look at what your father has to say. Because God tells us who we are. The world doesn't tell us who we are. Your past doesn't tell us who you are. God tells you who you are. God's word tells us who you are. You are a child of the living God. And one day he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, you know what, they're worth dying for. And your value went from here up to there. Wow. You love me that much, God. Yes, I do. Timothy's had some struggles because ministry is tough. He's in the ministry, and ministry is tough, and so it's taking a father in the faith like Paul to come alongside him and say, hey, listen, don't be so glum-chum. God's still got a plan for you. 
Remember, the prophecies that were made, and the prophecies were from God. And if they were from God, that's the final word of who you are. Don't let the crisis make you second-guess who you are in Jesus. Don't make the struggle, don't make the other competing voices let you second-guess who you are in Jesus. Can I be honest? That's everything. That's everything. Paul goes on to say, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Stop right there. Wage the good warfare. So not only does God tell us who we are, He tells us exactly what you're up against. How many of you have people in your life that sugarcoat stuff? That ain't God. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says, Brother Tim, you're in a fight. Some translations say fight the good fight. This says wage the good warfare. You are in a war. The Bible is always using imagery. Farmers and fields and shepherds and sheep. It's always using imagery. Masters and slaves. But this is an unpopular one. You are in a war. And a lot of folks don't like to preach this one. Who wants to come to church and find out we're in a war? But you already know, don't you? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You're in a war. Physical wars have been taking place since the beginning of time. As a matter of fact, historical statistics since the beginning of recorded history Define war, active conflict that claims more than a thousand lives. Historical statistics say that 3,400 years of recorded history, there have only been 268 years of peace. Only 8%. Only 8% of the world history has been, has the world been at peace. 108 million deaths due to war in the 20th century century alone. And that's nothing compared to the spiritual warfare because there's an enemy that desires to take your soul. And he's been in operation since the very, very, very beginning. God's Word tells us what we're up against. Do you know what you're up against? Most of us think that we're up against the challenges that are right in front of us. It's the boss at work. It's the conflict where you're at. And we limit it to that. It's the husband that you're struggling with, the wife that you're struggling with. It's the finances. It's the, uh, it's the, the health diagnosis. We think that that's what we're up against. But the Bible is very clear about what we're up against as Christians. The Bible's clear. Keep your place in Timothy again. This time go to Daniel 10. And this passage, when I read this years ago, blew me out of the water. You want to see what you're up against? Because most of us are fighting and we don't even know. Daniel 10... Verse 10, and what Daniel's been doing is he's been praying and fasting and seeking wisdom from the God of heaven, and Daniel 10, verse 10 reads like this. It says, suddenly a hand touched me, 
he being, me being Daniel, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand, listen to this. Listen to this and apply it to your own prayer journey. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. That's the power of prayer. I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Now just forget about the future that's going to be told to Daniel in a moment, but just focus on how this came to pass. As soon as Daniel humbled himself and went to his knees, this angel who we believe to be Gabriel, this angel is the one that said, listen, from the day that you started praying, there were things going on in heavenly realms that you cannot see. You can't see them. And you're reacting and you're getting all upset and you're struggling because you think you're fighting the right battle. But there are things that are going on in the background because the Bible tells us you're not battling against flesh and blood but you are battling christian against principalities and powers not of this world how do you fight that that's what the bible tells us the bible is honest about your battle it tells us what you're up against do you know what you're up against do i read that and you say you know what i've been going at this person and the problem really wasn't with that person at all The problem was something that was a battle that was being fought for me in the heavenly realms. And I was doing this and I was responding like that when I should have been fighting the battle on my knees in the first place like Daniel was. You got to check out these prayers. We get a behind the scenes look of what you're up against. And yet we live in a society that tries to reduce tries to reduce what you're up against, right? And I say this because society, when we talk about a real enemy named Satan that desires to steal, kill, and destroy, when we talk about this enemy, well, society has reduced him to a a snack food cake, right? Society has kind of reduced him to that. Society has reduced him to a Facebook meme, And you've seen this one where you've got Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. And Jesus looks like Jesus is always depicted in movies, except he's got this massive bicep. And Satan also has a massive bicep, and they're getting ready to go at it. And the Facebook meme says this, if you love Jesus, like and share. And if you want Satan to win, then just scroll past it. Seriously? Are you reducing it to that? Does anybody genuinely think that you're going to go to heaven, stand before God? Listen, that's Sunday after church. You went home. You got on Facebook. I got your account right in front of me. 
Man, some of us would freak out if he had if if he had our Facebook accounts in front of him, right? All right, but God wouldn't pull you aside and say, "Listen, I pull up your Facebook account here, and here's what I'm seeing on your Facebook account. I'm seeing that you're one of the ones that scrolled past, and you wanted Satan to win the battle. Is that right?" No, God, I just didn't feel like pressing the like button. Do you see the difference? I mean, we reduce the battle between heaven and hell, good and evil, to a Facebook meme. To a Facebook meme. There's a very real enemy. Timothy's feeling the pressure of this enemy. He's called the devil. He's called the devil. And when we think of this, we understand that according to the Bible's depiction of the devil, you don't have a dog in that fight. You don't have a way to win that fight of the thing that's going on behind the scenes if you try to do it in your own power. He's out to destroy your soul. And if he can't do that, then your reputation. And that's the enemy. And what the enemy does best, he desires to mask himself. He wants you to think that a landmine is a playground. He wants you to think that a battleship is a cruise ship. That's the way that he operates, so that you don't take this thing seriously. And I would ask you, how many of you are fighting this war seriously? How many of you are fighting this war intentionally? That if you look at a scene in Matthew 4 where Jesus is in the desert being tempted and he's having to pull out Scripture to fight Satan, then who are you not to? Well, you think you can just get in a jam and say, God, help me, or, or I'm just going to go to church. No, you have to fight as specifically because, as he is because he's very intentional about what he's trying to do in your life. So God's Word tells us about what we're up against. Tells us who we are, tells us what we're up against. That's the second point. But listen, folks. There's a third point, and this is the good news. God's Word tells us who wins. Amen? God's Word tells us who wins this. So in other words, if you thumb to the end of the book, go ahead. Not right now. But I mean, go ahead in your off time. Look to the end of the book. How many of you have fast-forwarded to the end of a movie? I just got to know what happens. Or if you've been reading a book, you're like, you know what, I've got to know what happens and I can't read the next 500 pages. Well, at the end of this book, it's a story in which God wins. And because God wins, if you belong to God, guess who else wins? You win. So you're on the winning end of a war that has been won on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we know who wins because the Word of God tells us who wins. Next week, Super Bowl Sunday. Many of you think you know who's going to win. And if history proves anything, you have to be a fool to bet, even though we don't bet. You have to be a fool to bet against Tom Brady. You have to be a fool to do that. But some of you are going to do it anyway. And despite history... You know this, on any given Sunday, any team can win. The Bible's not like that. The Bible assures us of a victory. It's God's victory. 
It's God's victory, and it's God's people's victory. And you're part of that victory. But we're not living in victory, and that's the problem. So many of us are living like we're in defeat. Why? Do you feel like you're living the victorious Christian life? Or do you feel like life is, as they say, kicking the snot out of you daily? The victorious Christian life, well, why am I struggling if the war has been won? Because the Bible is just as honest, and this is our fourth point, to tell us this, that though the war has already been won, there are still battles being fought. There are still battles being fought, and some of you are like, duh. (laughs) Okay, you came to church today for you to tell me that I'm in a battle, Pastor. I already knew that I was in a battle. Yes, the battle is still being fought. Physically, mentally, spiritually, at every turn, you feel like you're in a battle. Feels like I'm in one. You having a calling of you have a calling of God on your life? There is gonna be a battle. There's gonna be a battle. Why? Because Jesus has yet to return. He won the war on the cross. He won the war, but the celebration will come when he comes back for his church. But until that day, because we are still living in a fallen world, we're still having to fight. And the problem is this, is that so many of us are fighting on our own strength. And when we try to fight on our own strength, what we're saying is this, you won the war, you won the war, but I'm in a battle right now and I'm going to do this my way. Okay. Has God ever done that to you? Has he ever said, okay. Okay, go ahead. Do it your way. How's that going for you? You ready to do it my way yet? I won the war, and you are relying and depending on your own strength for the battle that's right in front of you. You see, and this is something that we've talked about in here before. For the Christian, you have to understand that you are not fighting for victory. Is that right? You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You're fighting from victory that was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. But here's the problem. You are fighting an enemy that's fighting like he can still win. And you're fighting like you're losing sometimes. You're fighting an enemy that's fighting like he's winning. And we're fighting it in defeat saying, okay, I had a bad day. I'm having a terrible day. A couple of years ago, mom was in the hospital and the ministry wasn't going so well and Hannah was acting up and we were going through all this stress and every day I would walk into work and it was doom and gloom and people would look at me and they'd say, come on, dude, man up. Man up. You're the pastor of the church. Are you buying what you're selling? Are you buying what you're selling? Well, are you? Yeah, you can ask me. Because there are moments when sometimes it's because I'm in that battle and I'm not acting like a child of God. I'm not conducting myself like somebody who's living in victory. Back to 1 Timothy. After he tells him to wage war, wage the good warfare, you're in a war in verse 18, verse 19 says, Having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. 
Look at verse 19. Having faith and good conscience. These two things are imperative for victory. So you can circle them, underline them, highlight them, do whatever it is that you do if you mark Scripture. There are two things that you need to win. The Bible, of course, talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, but it pretty much condenses it with two, these two ideas that Paul says, listen, having faith and good conscience. Faith and good conscience. This is how to fight the good fight. So the Word tells us that there are still battles being fought, but the world tells us also, the Word tells us what we need to do to win. The Word tells us what we need to do to win. And it says, having faith and good conscience. Having faith means believing. It means believing. Do you believe? And there's this relationship from believing because the believing all is in our heart. And then it says, good conscience, and that's in our head. So there's this relationship between the head and the heart, between the being and the doing. And if we get this, we can win the battles that are in front of us daily. Because how many times has God said, listen, you really do know what to do in this situation. Why don't we do it? How many of you have had those situations where it's like you knew what the right thing to do was, but you didn't do it, and because you didn't do it, you weren't acting in the power of God? You weren't acting in the power of God because you went against your conscience, and that conscience was really the Holy Spirit saying, listen, if you do this, you're going to hurt yourself. If you go in this direction, it's the wrong direction for you. It's the wrong direction for your family. I'm going. Okay. Okay. There's this relationship, and Paul describes it so well in Romans 7. I'm not going to ask you to turn there just for the sake of time, but I'm going to turn there. And I just want to see if there's any, anybody in this room, probably not, anybody in this room that can relate to what Paul says here in Romans 7. Verse 13, he says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Listen to this, verse 15. Can anybody in this room relate to this? For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Is there anybody in the room that can relate to that? This is God's Word. And now when we read that, you take a look and you say, wait a minute, that struggle is articulated in the Bible because it's verbatim what I'm going through right now. I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm not doing it. Verse 16 says, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I want to do, I'm not doing. But the evil I don't want to do, that I practice. Do you get it? And you came into this room and you're like, I don't understand why I keep doing this. And Paul's saying, listen, it's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And Christians are not exempt to it. The flesh is still pulling at you. 
And sometimes it feels like there's a tug of war for you. But if you listen to this, the truth of Scripture, then you say, this explains a lot of my life, Pastor. It sure does. It explains a lot of your life. And let me tell you, if you want the answer to this, because this is the beauty of God's Word, it never gives you the problem without giving the solution. If you want the answer to this, I'm not going to read it here, but I want you to go home and read it. It's Romans 8. Write it down. Romans 8 is the answer to the problem articulated in Romans 7 of us doing the thing that we're not supposed to do and not doing what we know we should do. And so if anybody can relate to that, you go home and you read Romans 8, read it a little bit at a time, and you see the answer is God. The answer is relying on the power of the Spirit. Basically, the answer is this. It's getting out of the way. How many of you here need to get out of the way? Get out of the way. God's saying, listen, if you want to fight the good fight, the way that we do this from a Christian perspective is you submit. It's not the way that the world fights. The world fights when the world fights and you're fighting and you're trying to fight the world. You get exhausted, tired, frustrated, angry, anxious, whatever it is. But then when we submit to God, it's at that moment that His power floods into your life and He gives you the strength you need And usually that strength comes in the form of, get this, humility. Humility is the answer. Jesus was the most humble man that ever walked the face of this earth, and he was God. Isn't that amazing? That the enemy wanted to do nothing but be God, and that was the origin of the war. He wanted to be God, and that was because of pride. And how did Jesus counter pride? Gang, listen, he washed their stinky feet. And by washing their stinky feet, he washed my stinky feet. And he washed your stinky feet. And so would we wash each other's feet because that's where the strength and the victory in this war comes from. This is how to fight. Because faith means this. Faith means believing and taking God at who he says he is to do the things that we can't do when we say, listen, this battle, this war is too much for me. He says, I know. Please get out of the way and let me take it. You're my child. I don't want to see you keep fighting like this. I don't want to see you keep struggling like this. You know what to do here. You know what to do. For the Christian, fighting is a matter of getting out of the way. And this brings us to our last point. What happens when we don't do it? The last point, back to Timothy. And I'm not going to ask you to turn to any other scripture today. Verse 19 says, this is how to fight, having faith and good conscience, believing that God is who he says he is and doing the thing you know to do, and then you'll have his power. But it says some have rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What does this even mean? You delivered people to Satan, and because they didn't have faith, they were shipwrecked. Well, let me tell you something about Paul. If anybody knew about physical shipwrecks, it was him. So the Bible tells us that Paul was shipwrecked, I think, three or four times. Paul's the kind of guy 
that it was it would kind of be like for a South Floridian going into the grocery store and seeing Jim Cantori. Okay, if you went into the grocery store and you saw Jim Cantori for the Weather Channel, you'd be like, okay, time to pack up the kids, time to get out of town because a hurricane is coming. Okay, if Paul walked by your ship, all right, and you were the ship owner, you might want to say, okay, there's no, we don't have any seats here. Because every time the brother got on a ship, it shipwrecked. Okay, and so Paul uses this, this visual of shipwreck to talk about what happens in some people's faith. Now, why does a ship normally wreck? Usually it's because of a storm, right? It's usually because of a storm that a ship wrecks. And what Paul was saying is this, is that, listen, when the pressure is applied, so many people lose heart. And when we lose heart, we lose faith. So what the storm causes us to do is to lose heart. In losing heart, we lose faith because we forget that Jesus loves us because perfect love casts out fear. And then what you have is the storm is coming, I'm losing heart, and there's a shipwreck of my faith. Have you had your faith shipwrecked lately? Circumstance upon circumstance upon circumstance. It wasn't just one thing that happened. It was a series of things that happened. And because of the series of things that happened, you sat there and you started, you stopped believing that God was who He says He was. And now not only are you believing, not believing that He loves you, now you're questioning whether or not He's even there. Are you even there, God? Do you even care? Do you hear me? We don't have a lot of information except at the end of 2 Timothy on Hymenaeus and Alexander, but we know is that these were a couple of guys that forsook their faith. Alexander had done some evil to Paul. Hymenaeus was offering false teachings to the church. And it said Paul delivered them to Satan. What does that mean? Because doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? Within the walls of the church... Within the walls of the church, listen, if there are people that are knowingly doing things that are not pleasing to God and they have no intention of changing and they've been corrected on it and corrected on it and they're still doing it, there's a precedent that says shut them out of the church. What would Jesus do, Pastor? What would Jesus do? Jesus would say, listen, I love you, but don't, don't keep sinning. You're hurting yourself. Jesus, this is what Jesus would do. Jesus would say, I died on the cross for you so that you wouldn't be a slave to the thing that's enslaving you. But if you keep this up, then you're going to be without the support and the protection of the church. You see, that really is the last point. The world tells us that there are consequences to what we do. There are consequences to what we do. And how many times have you said, I hope that I'm not that person that's going to be shut out from the church. I don't want to be that person. You know, I have this struggle. If you don't want to be that person, guess what? You're not. If you're here saying, listen, I just need the strength to overcome the struggle that I'm going through, this gives you the key to do it. Listen, believe. Believe. Believe that you are who God tells you you are. Believe that you're in a war. Believe that every day is going to be a battle but believe that he wins in the end and you're part of that winning team and even if you don't understand what's going on right now you believe that he wins and that's called faith that's called faith because you have a father in heaven that loves you very much i want to close you with a story in 
It says, there was a professor at a Christian college who, along with his son, went on a thousand-mile backpacking trip from British Columbia to Southern California. Together, father and son hiked through the mountains of Washington, Oregon, California. For many days, they were along the trail, often camping above the 10,000-foot level. They faced every sort of discouragement, lack of food and water. Danger from wild animals, danger from robbers they might meet, days of rain and mud, incredible physical exhaustion, the very real possibility of physical injury, not to speak of loneliness, blisters, mosquitoes, and the extremes of heat and cold. Before leaving on the trip, the professor discovered that over 90% of those who set out to hike more than 500 miles never make it. 50% never get started, and 40% quit right after they start. Only 10% ever finish a long-distance hike. And after studying the 10% who succeeded, he came to a certain conclusion. Some of it involved strenuous training and meticulous preparation, but there was something else involved. He discovered that those who succeeded versus those who failed understood that the biggest block was mental. They knew that their real enemy lay within, not without. Those who succeeded made two important decisions. First, they decided that they would finish the trip no matter what happened. And second, they expected bad things to happen and decided that they would not be surprised or dismayed. So when the rains turned the trail into mush, they didn't quit because they weren't surprised. And when the black clouds of mosquitoes descended like some Old Testament plague, they didn't quit because they weren't surprised. And when they faced the days of loneliness and the nights of hunger, they didn't quit because they knew it would be like this. In essence, successful backpackers adapted a certain mindset. Listen, church, they knew that the key was simply putting one foot in front of the other. You take a step and hit the mud. You take another step and see a bear. You take another step and your legs begin cramping. You take another step and the crazy people come out of the woods. Doesn't matter. You aren't surprised because you knew the crazy people would show up sooner or later. So you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and eventually your journey is finished. This was Paul's approach to the Christian life. No matter what happened to him, he just kept moving. Moving forward by the grace of God, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, one day at a time. He wasn't deterred by opposition because he knew it was coming eventually. Our problem is that we're surprised by the trouble. We think the Christian life ought to be easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, and it's not supposed to be easy. Today, the struggle, the combat, the warfare. Today, we march to battle in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of rest comes later. It's not yet. We're in a battle every single day. We're in a battle every single day and God says, listen, I can give you the strength to press on and press on and press on and press on until we go to victory together. And that's why we have this thing called the church. For when one of us is weak, the others come alongside and they say, no, it's not time to give up yet. Let's go. Let's keep going because we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things. Will you say that, church? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the truth. Who you are is a child of God. A child of God.